Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. While the world is all gloomy and full of despair One thing that might help you is comfy loungewear But I mean it won't help with a war or you know a raging disease But it will help you sit on your bottom with enjoyment and ease Ooh, British boxers, they sell lovely pants and pajamas. Ooh, British boxers, which might help you deal with global dramas. Ooh, British boxers, they are a really nice sort. So go check their range from t-shirts to boxer shorts. British Box is a very ethically lovely lounger and underwear company who just the other week went viral on Twitter for posting swears about Nigel Farage. So what more could you want? And with the code PARPOLBRO15, you get 15% off any order what you do on their site at British-Boxes.com. So don't just forget that while everything out there seems quite mad That some things might be pants and yet also not bad Oh, British boxers British boxers don't sell boxers So please don't try to buy any of your favourite boxing legends from their website Or they will ignore your email Barry McGuigan is not for purchase And we please stop contacting them to ask Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the comedy politics podcast that has never had a rise in interest rates, despite so many attempts at trying. I'm Tiernan Duyeb and this week, as we now enter more than a month of Russia's invasion into Ukraine, the Prime Minister and, oh no, all that foam stuffing has landed in that ambergris, Boris Johnson, says he's not optimistic that Russian President and animated sausage patty Vladimir Putin wants peace. I'm just so glad that we've got a leader with such insight in Britain. Wow, I mean, he's not sure that Vladimir Putin wants peace. What other gems of intelligence can we expect from a mind like Johnson's? Maybe next he'll inform us that he's thought about it and he's really not sure that the Israeli government is all that keen on being a good neighbour or that he's put in the research and he can't be 100% certain that the Taliban celebrate International Women's Day. Usually the first signs of spring are welcomed by everyone. Warmer temperatures, blossom, lighter evenings, daffodils looking like tiny sunny demogorgons. Yes they do. Yes, they are. So it says a lot about the Chancellor and, ooh, Donkey from Shrek has had his hair done nice, Rishi Sunak, that his spring statement only felt seasonal in so much as it woke a lot of people up from a hibernation sleep to smell that it's not coffee brewing but a nationwide cost of living crisis. Which luckily keeps you as alert as coffee and therefore makes a really good replacement when you can no longer afford to buy any beans or even boil the kettle. Sunak insisted that he wants to help people now because, you know, he's a good guy and just like you if you had a very powerful job and were stupidly rich. Yet it's very hard to know what his idea of help is unless, being burdened with millions and millions of pounds of wealth, he's realised that money can't buy you love and so by sparing the general public from having any at all, maybe they will be able to enjoy their lives and one day find romance. I mean, it's obvious Sunak and his wife don't talk much in their relationship, or he'd be aware that she has shares in a company with offices in Moscow and has links to a now-sanctioned Russian bank. But as Sunak said, he is an elected politician and his wife is not, so I guess, fuck it, that means Putin could be slipping her M&S gift cards on the sly and it wouldn't matter because she's not in office, right? And Sunak definitely wouldn't be using any of that money for his own benefit as he's too busy living a life of luxury after making it rich from the financial crash of 2008. 
Just last month, the Chancellor urged firms to think very carefully about their investments made in Russia and how they might aid Putin, but he didn't directly say, oh, and also my wife should too, so at least he's not a hypocrite. Anna Sunak revealed he is just like you because while many people are not even accepting potatoes from food banks as they can't afford the energy to boil them, the Chancellor's family, gosh this is just so like normal everyday stuff right, they all have different breads in the house. <laughs> what are they like? I'm not sure which of his 12 houses he means that they have all the breads in but if it's I guess all 12 of them that is quite a lot of bread and I suppose you'd only really be able to afford that through immoral banking investments so it does all sort of make sense. It would seem to be out of touch that Sunak was boasting about his family's excessive dough when others have absolutely none, but actually it's the first thing he'd said all week that made me optimistic, as bread is one of the top 10 choking hazard foods. See, he does know what the people want. Only Conservatives can be trusted with taxpayers' money, said the Chancellor, but he didn't confirm what they were trusted to do with it. I mean, if it's let a load of it get taken in fraudulent pandemic claims and never be recouped, or maybe spend £122 million of it on a firm linked to a Tory peer to secure PPE that didn't work and only cost them £46 million to get hold of, then yes, that is exactly what I trust them to do with it. I fully assume that like with stocks or any other investment things that clever people do, if you had the option of putting your money into a Conservative Party ISA, you'd get a pop-up making sure that you understand the risks are higher than anything else, as there's an incredibly high chance they'll give it all to their friend who swears they can provide carbon-reducing initiatives because they once opened a window after lighting a candle. And then you won't receive your money back until all the poorest members of society have repaid it all by not surviving the winter in what will be rebranded as a national tribute to Scott of the Antarctic. Inflation keeps soaring, but the Chancellor, because he's just like you, knows how to help. I mean, firstly, he announced there'd be a 5p per litre duty cut on fuel, which is the biggest cut to fuel duty ever. That's a lot like saying we've all been making you pay a lot more on this than you should have for quite some years now. Petrol prices have gone up 40p since Sunak's last spring statement in 2021, so cutting 5p off that, there's still 35p more per litre than this time last year, and that is just too generous, and can we all be grateful as we still can't afford to drive anywhere, but you know, slightly less unaffordably than a week ago. Don't have a car? What's wrong with you? You must be in the poorest fifth of households, and if you really wanted to help the country, you'd use the money you don't have for heating or eating to go and buy a car that you then can't afford to drive much. Normal people, like Rishi, drive cars, you see, which is why everyone got to see a lovely picture of him filling up a Kia Rio with petrol in a supermarket petrol station, grinning as he enjoys knowing he's only being exploited by 35p per litre more than it should be to pollute the planet. But it turns out that wasn't everyday Rishi's car, but one he borrowed from a Sainsbury's shop assistant. Hey, every little helps. Oh no, wait, that's the wrong one. Anyway, is it because the Chancellor has no idea how to fill up his own car as his chauffeur usually does that? Or was it because by putting in exactly £10 to the penny of petrol in the car, he knew that he was actually helping a single member of the public with the cost of living, or at least to drive to maybe the next pump to fill up properly, and he could go back to asking his driver to take him around 14 different artisan bakeries for the family lunch pickup without any guilt. Footage showed Sunak tried to pay with the contactless card at the counter and get confused, which is odd as not only should the man in charge of the country's finances know how major elements of banking work, but also much of his career has revolved around having zero contact with the consequences of his actions, so you'd think he'd be a big fan. It's remarkable how only a few years ago the BBC posted an animated video depicting Rishi Sunak as Superman, yet in reality he'd struggle to know how to get into a phone box and wait around for hours outside for someone else to dress him. Not only that, but on hearing a distress call, he'd likely just turn up and tell them that he can't help everyone actually, even though he wished he could, before buggering off again. The second big announcement in the spring statement was a 5% VAT relief on homeowners who want to install energy-saving materials. So nothing helps someone like me, who is renting and increasingly has less and less money, that I could be aided with this collapse into poverty if I just bought a house and some solar panels. Ah, oh, gosh, thanks, Rishi. That's such a massive help. I mean, fair play for even bothering to come up with anything when he could have just stood up there and said, hey, really helps if you just imagine you're rich and every time you're cold, think about being on a tropical island. There was a promise that income tax would be cut by 1p at some point in the next two years if the criteria is filled. Mumble, 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 just remember the headline and we might bring it back just before an election so you remember how ridiculously expensive everything is and pretend that we're doing something good. There is an increase in national insurance tax threshold which will only help people who already have top and middle tier incomes and Sunak kept talking about how his government are reducing taxes all the while they're rising them so I can only guess that by making so many people poor they won't be able to eat and therefore have energy to work and then they'll be taken out of the tax bracket altogether which is just so massively helpful. 
This is how the unemployment figures work too. Unemployment is forecast to be lower every year for the next three years, but it only classes those looking for work as unemployed and only for the first six weeks that they do. So if you failed to get a job for ages, you're unable to work, you've been caring for a family member or you died in the pandemic, then you're not unemployed at all. You're just, I don't know, job deficient or dead. Either way, well done on your productivity and you won't believe the tax reductions you'll have gained as a result. There's £500 million of new funding to the Household Support Fund, which means if you're in a vulnerable household and may be affected worse by the rising costs, then you can apply for a grant from your council that they may pay in vouchers as though they couldn't be bothered to work out what you actually wanted for your birthday and were worried you'd spend cash on something you might actually need. The Shadow Secretary for State of Work and Pensions and background Beano character Jonathan Ashworth was heard shouting, is that it, as the Chancellor reeled off a lack of help for anyone other than Conservative voters. A phrase that could have often been shouted at Jonathan Ashworth during his time as Shadow Health Secretary, where he'd often say that he wouldn't repeal any of the Conservatives' damaging Health and Social Care Act. But he was right, there just really wasn't anything at all in the Chancellor's mini-budget. And the Shadow Chancellor, Rachel Reeves, who always sounds like a before advert for a nasal spray, said the country can't afford the Conservatives, which was a really nice line but I can't help but feel that many of the opposition's complete lack of better ideas means that we'd just be getting much the same thing, but with the promise they'll now be 5p off a litre from these highly affordable politicians. Currently, the Labour Party are blaming the last leadership for making them so reliant on funding from members, which has really ruined their rich donor investment. Yes, it's a real shame that for a while we had a political party wasn't backed by mysterious lobbyists, isn't it? Still, I'm sure those oligarchs will be looking for another group to invest in now that the Conservatives have to pretend it's not on anymore and Rishi Sunak's wife won't tell him anything about it. Rachel Reeves' nice line in her response about people not affording the Conservatives was undermined, though, by a bizarre tangent about Sunak obviously being inspired by characters from Alice in Wonderland, which can't be true, as if he took after the Mad Hatter, he'd actually be far more likely to put a cap on prices. The Resolution Foundation says that the spring statement announcements are going to put a further 1.3 million people in Britain into poverty, including 500,000 children. But hey, at least all those kids won't have the stress of working out which bread they want to have today if they can't have any, right? Seven out of eight workers will pay more tax, which the Conservatives can then be trusted to splash on, probably some giant bouncy castle in the shape of Winston Churchill that will then have the contract given to a friend who once blew up a balloon without help from their butler, and it'll be deemed a health hazard and closed before it opens. Typical British households will lose 1,100 a year, but you won't be able to say that Johnson's government hasn't motivated people to shed pounds. The Chancellor has been widely condemned by, well, everyone, including members of his own party, and they've admitted that benefit rises will take 18 months to catch up with inflation, which is obviously fine because human beings, as we know, can go without food for 18 months, like a very sad camel. Yes, I know that's not what science says, but what kind of dickheads follow the science, right? The government have already delayed their energy security strategy and there's talks that Rishi Sunak may have to U-turn on some of this, maybe at least the cost of energy bills, or the country could plunge into an even worse cost of living crisis than it's already in. But the question is, would he use his own car to do a U-turn in, or borrow someone else's so it looks more real? MPs voted 302 to 232, and you can almost certainly guess which of them were in which parties, in favour of the Nationality and Borders Bill, which includes measures for offshore detention centres, criminal sentences for people seeking asylum in the UK, and stripping people of their citizenship. All of which definitely sounds pretty barbaric, but I can't help but wonder if people, once they escape war or persecution and then arrive in Britain and see the state of things, they might actually be desperate to go almost anywhere else. I mean, at least in prison or detention centres, someone else is going to cover their heating costs, right? There is something so horribly British about punishing people for seeking a better life, and you do wonder if there's some sort of secret password that when you're questioned at border control and they say, what are you coming to Britain for, you say, I don't know, I had nowhere better to go, oh well, mustn't grumble, that they might just let you straight in. It has been confirmed that this bill would cover Ukrainians coming to the UK that don't use the recommended not very safe and overly complicated safe routes. And you do have to wonder which side of the war effort we're supporting when our government is super keen to create our own POWs. The CEO of P&O Ferries, Peter Hebblethwaite, who looks not unlike a large crashed ship, admitted to a panel of MPs that his firm broke the law in the way it sacked 800 workers without consulting the unions. Both the Prime Minister and the Transport Secretary, Grant Shapps, with his forever appearance of a disgraced children's TV presenter, have both called for Hebblethwaite to resign and said that they cannot believe that he can stay in that role after breaking the law. Really? Why does that upset you both much? Is it because after displaying those qualities, you realise he'd now be perfect in the Cabinet? Actually, I say that, but as awful a shitbag as Hebblethwaite is, he did actually tell the truth at a parliamentary panel, which means he'd fail at the first interview to be part of Johnson's government. 
It turns out, though, that in 2018, former Minister for Immense Failure and man with a paracetamol capsule for a head, which is at odds with his existence of being a constant headache, Chris Grayling, might have changed the laws so that P&O ferries were registered abroad and could therefore sack who they like without any notice. Shap says he will close the loopholes that allow this to happen. Good. I mean, how dare someone change their identity in order to break the law and lose transport workers' jobs when there's already a transport secretary who excels in all of that? The government are preparing a push for new nuclear power plants in Britain, but the problem is there's currently nowhere to safely and permanently deposit the toxic waste that would be created. What about the rivers and seas? Well, that way it would clean off all the shit that's currently in there. Actually, I think nothing would represent Britain more accurately right now than containing a whole load of unnecessary toxicity that has absolutely nowhere to go. The Education Minister, and what if Walter White had even fewer morals, Nadim Zawahi, has announced plans for a longer school week to improve children's learning, and it will, as they'll definitely gain a much greater understanding of failed educational policies. Zawahi said he wants to spread the DNA of grammar schools, which, which I thought was what Boris Johnson spent most of his time doing. When faced during a Sky News interview with a graph of the funding gap per pupil spending in state schools compared to those in private schools during the 12 years of Conservative governments, Zawahi said it's what had to be done to fix the economy. It makes sense though, because if none of those kids learn maths properly, they won't be able to work out that absolutely none of it was worth it. Face that could launch a thousand shits and housing and communities secretary Michael Gove has launched the Great British Spring Clean, asking people to level up their local area by picking up litter councils now can't afford to hire people to do. By litter, I mean rubbish, not the latest batch of offspring produced by the Prime Minister, by the way. If levelling up means getting rid of rubbish in a public place, then at least that bodes was really well for the next election. Oh God, how was that? Did that sound all right? Were there jokes in it? Did any of it make any sense? I know I should know. I've written it, but I'm currently down with the vids, aka all Omicron in my face. Uh, and uh, to quote Black Twang, I feel so rotten. So, so rotten. Rotten, rotten. Um, I mean, I'm not officially Omicron. I'm on day five of feeling an absolute state with all the tick box symptoms of the vids. I mean, yesterday I fell asleep by accident for two hours. My head is full of snot. I was shivering on Friday. Um, I'm so weak and tired and terrible. And Lemsip is key. Oh, God, Lemsip's keeping me alive. God bless you, Lemsip. I don't even believe in God. I'm going to start being religious just for Lemsip's sake. But I've got all the tick box symptoms of the vids. Um, but my lat flow tests keep gaslighting me and saying that I'm negative. Um, which I've read about. Apparently, it could just mean that I'm a totally amazing, selfless guy who's keeping all this infectionist to myself and I refuse to pass it on. Um, no, wait, maybe that's selfish as I don't want to share it. Either way, my wife and daughter, sorry, agent, don't have it. So um, maybe I'm shielding them from it. And that is a much better way to protect my family than slapping Chris Rock, right? I mean, at least I think so. I suppose it depends on what Chris Rock was up to. So uh, I can honestly say I have very little idea of what I'm saying and doing. I'm consumed in an all-encompassing brain fog. Um, and please do feel free to get in touch if I've said anything that made absolutely zero sense. And I'll read your email 400 times and I'll still absolutely not be able to take it in. Uh, ugh, this is horrible. This is exactly the same as the thing I had during Christmas where I also had negative tests constantly. And I'm just starting to think that maybe my body just doesn't want people to know that I'm down with like the latest trends. Maybe, you know, it's always like being sort of an outsider. It's always like some of the cult stuff. Maybe it's only going to admit it when I sort of catch, I don't know, scarlet fever or smallpox or something. Something that was like retro cool. Um, anyway, so this week's episode is recorded on a temporary Lemsip high. Um, there's probably loads of news I've missed. There's loads of stuff I haven't put in there. I haven't mentioned Ukraine much because it's ever-changing and I absolutely can't wrap my head around it or how to make any of it funny when it's all just very miserable. Um, I saw Laura Kunzberg's replacing Andrew Marr, which means it's great to know that Sunday mornings will continue to have someone that doesn't ask MBs any serious questions or ever really question the government. Jesus Christ. Um, but in this episode, there is a chat with Kate Hudson at CND all about nuclear war. You know, just to cheer us up. You're welcome. I thought that's what you might need this week. So, uh, yeah, you're very welcome. Um, how are you all after the spring statement? Are you all excited about the savings you'll make on the solar panels for your mansion? Um, the day after it was announced, our landlords upped our rent because apparently they have to. You know, they just can't pay their mortgage off enough times and that's not fair or something. Um, and then my agent's nursery up their fees because, to be fair, all their food and their bills have gone up, so that makes sense. And then the home contents insurance went up, even though I've just cleared out some stuff, so I actually have less things than last year. I really can't afford things to cost more, but I'd be less sad about it if they all at least included extra things for the increase. Like if our landlords decided that now with the up rent, they'd also install a cocktail bar and like a slide to the front garden or even just get rid of the mould in the living room. That would be 
really nice. Um, and maybe our kids' nursery could, I don't know, have a for like seven minutes more a day. And home insurance can add an in case of Godzilla attacks in there just, just for kicks. I know, something positive somewhere would be really nice, wouldn't it? Just something. Some, give us something, anything. Um, the Will Smith slapping Chris Rock at the Oscars. It's not a good thing. There's a violence, misogyny, ableism. There's a lot of issues with it. But also, wasn't it just really great to see a headline that wasn't, the world's about to die. That really brightened my day in the weirdest of ways. Also, very nice as a comedian to know that even if you reach the lofty heights of hosting the Oscars, it's still basically the same as doing Portsmouth Jonglers was on a Friday. Oh, do I have stories about people trying to attack me on stage? Fun! Except also absolutely not. Um... Big thanks this week to Connell, who donated to the Kofi, and to Joe and Kat, who bravely joined the completely unrewarded Patreon. Thanks tons to you all for that. I really, really appreciate it. And of course, should you want to support this podcast slash pay my agent's nursery fees while Rishi Sunak juggles bread, um, then you can do that by joining the patreon.com forward slash bro or by doing a one-off donation at ko-fi.com forward slash bro. Either are grand and dandy. I mean, just support my Lemsa prediction. I need it. Oh, God, I need it. I, is it. Can you buy it so that like, you can just inject it into your vein? That, that's what I need. I'm sure there's I'm sure there's loads of admin things to tell you. Our kids' politics show starting again in a few weeks. I've got some gigs next month. I can't remember where any of them are. One's in Guernsey. That'll be interesting. Um, but no, I'm full of snot. I've got really no idea. Um, I keep sort of zoning out and my ears keep ringing and then I, I want to fall asleep. So basically, instead, this week, just have this. <laughs> There are some things that are really dangerous, but also have a purpose in human life, so it makes them okay. Like knives, for example. Sure, that machete you carry around seems unnecessarily large and dangerous, but actually its real purpose is slicing big slabs of cheese for a mega sandwich, so maybe it's not just for stab times and having it around is worthwhile. Just not too, not too low a draw so that, you know, make sure the kids can't get it. Sure, chlorine was used as a chemical weapon, but look now, it is perfect for making your children's eyes sting at the swimming pool, so definitely worthwhile. But nuclear weapons really only have one use, which is to destroy absolutely everything in a wide radius, slowly kill everything in a wider radius, and disrupt global climate in a radius that's so big it's the whole Earth. I don't even know if that's still a radius, because I don't do science, but it's like the whole, it's the whole Earth. There's no like, oh, but actually you can use a thermonuclear bomb to dry your hair super quickly side to it because the only thing it would do is destroy everything. So I will find it forever baffling that they exist at all. When I've been brought up on a diet of action films that feature stories where wherever a world-ending threat appears, someone like The Rock or in my youth Jean-Claude Van Damme starring as himself and his twin brother and his aunt would nearly die in order to stop the villain before disarming the device and sending it into the sun so that no one would ever be at threat ever again. Yet in reality, what actually happened was the world saw in Japan in 1945 how horrifically awful, destructive and inhumane the use of nuclear weapons was and several big countries said, oh, let's make even bigger ones and then seeing that other big countries made them too, they then said, oh, we'd better make more world-ending bombs as a deterrent for other countries' world-ending bombs and now on Earth there are loads and loads of world-ending bombs when you'd only really need one to know it's a very, very bad idea. Maybe Jean-Claude Van Damme gave up when he realised how many family members he'd have to play to stop them all. The idea that the best deterrent is just killing everyone on the planet before someone else does is a really curious notion of one-upmanship, isn't it? Right now, there's a nuclear threat from Russia who have a stockpile of approximately 4,477 nuclear warheads, enough to kill the planet several times over and then give the cockroaches that survive an entertaining Disneyland-level fireworks show every week for years. That's Russia who just illegally invaded a country. They've got nukes. I'm sure that makes you feel safe. But do any of the other people in charge of their country's nukes make you feel at ease? Authoritarian Minecraft character Kim Jong-un? Nationalistic Ewok Narendra Modi? Boris Johnson who definitely hit a red button if he saw it because he'd hoped it'd just make a funny noise or bring him booze. If you stop to think about it for even a second, it's not just about whether nuclear weapons are in the wrong hands, it's that they probably shouldn't be in anyone's hands at all. Because it seems to be a real trend at the moment to reboot things from the 80s, the threat of nuclear war is back on the table of scary world-ending crises again, and so this week I spoke to Kate Hudson, the General Secretary of CND, the Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament. I asked her whether the world was reaching progress on scrapping nukes until, you know, the past few weeks, if everyone's forgotten just how scary nukes are, and why they seem to now think there can be small ones, and do nuclear weapons have a secret sandwich-based use to make them worthwhile? Okay, not the last one, but it was a really useful chat with Kate if still ultimately terrifying. Here is Kate. Hi, Kate. Thank you so much for having time to talk to me uh, today on the podcast. Um, the first question, and this I, I, I worry this is quite a silly question, but it, it, 
you know, is it naive to think that up until the very recent threat of nuclear war that, that we've had uh, very upsettingly these past few weeks, had that threat lessened in recent years? Um, I, I sort of was briefly mentioning to you before we started recording, I was a kid of the 80s. I remember every five minutes being terrified of nuclear war. And it really feels like there was a gap in the middle where no one really mentioned it, apart from maybe the odd North Korean uh, uh, you know, threat. Um, but but had there been progress with nuclear disarmament since since the end of the Cold War? Had until these last few weeks, we actually seen, you know, progress on it. Well, that's a really good question, Tin. And actually, and if I could just go back to your point about you in the nineteen eighties, I was a bit older than you, so I was going on the marches. Um, I went to Greenham and so on. And then, as the eighties went on, end of the Cold War. Uh, there was um, a treaty agreed to get rid of the, the missiles that had come to green and all that sort of thing. So like hundreds of thousands of others, I thought that somehow the problem had gone away. So I stopped going on the marches. I wasn't involved in CND. And for like maybe 15, 20 years, that was it. I forgot about it. And then uh, later on, um, towards the turn of the century, then I started to think, well, actually, we haven't got this lovely new world order of peace. There are still problems out there. Things can be escalating a bit. There are still nuclear weapons. I'll get back involved. So I got back involved with CND. Um, but I think in, in terms of the wider question, has the threat receded or had it receded? I think, uh, yes, to a great extent, there was some kind of receding there, it, it, particularly in terms of the reduction of uh, nuclear weapons numbers. So there were tens of thousands, maybe 70,000 or so during the height of the Cold War. That has gone down now to about 14,000. I mean, that's obviously not nothing, you know, Many of them, are, you know, they're all pretty much bigger than the Hiroshima bomb. Some are over 100 times the size of the Hiroshima bomb. But nevertheless, since the end of the Cold War, there has been that gradual reduction. And interestingly, beginning of last year, when President Biden came into office, he and President Putin uh, signed the renewal of a bilateral nuclear weapons reduction treaty. So at that time, they were still on the track of reducing. So I'd say we've seen we've seen that good development, but also um, we have just in the last couple of years seen some not so good developments. So all the nuclear weapon states, um, there's not that many of them, but they've all started modernizing and improving their nuclear weapon systems. Uh, some, like Britain, for example, last year announced it was going to increase its nuclear arsenal. So it's like just in the past couple of years, that that kind of good sort of decreasing thing that's been going on, that has kind of stopped and gone into partial reverse. So I think that kind of escalating tension around that it is a very bad thing. And then you take it with this hot war that's going on, makes it sort of even much worse. Is, is there something, you know, because it has been, as, as I said, sort of for myself, I, I felt like it wasn't really a topic of, of news for some years. But do, do you think that's been the case? It has been so long since the Cold War that people have forgotten the sort of impact or the fear about a nuclear war. I mean, I'm saying this as though, um, you know, I should make it very clear. I find it terrifying. I, I visited the, the Hiroshima Peace Museum in, uh, and, and I think it's one of the most upsetting places I've ever been to in my life. And everyone walked out crying. And then I remember seeing, you know, all these photos of world leaders having signed um, the, the treaty, which I can't remember which treaty, but, you know, and then also finding out they still had 3,000 nuclear weapons. It's all found it very ludicrous. But there has, in, in just these past few weeks, people saying, yeah, put a no fly so it doesn't matter about nukes maybe we could have a small nuke and these weird articles and is that that people has it just been so long that people have f forgotten how terrifying it could be or, or other other reasons why there's this kind of you know gung-ho attitude about it yeah well I, I i think i think both apply i think they were used in 1945. They were used by the United States against a country that didn't have nuclear weapons, you know. So in my assessment, many people, you know, that was a massive war crime. They were uniquely dangerous um, because it's not just a question of the blast and the killing at the time. You know, there were, I think about 340,000 people died as a result of those two bombs, one on Hiroshima and one on Nagasaki. Um, many died at the time, but of course, 
even more died in the years that followed because of radiation poisoning, you know, and uh, many cancers, birth defects, you know, all, all kinds of terrible health problems and so on. So the, the reason that people are so concerned about nuclear weapons is it's not just the bad thing at the time, it's that kind of pervasive radiation poisoning that spreads and really impacts on public health and, you know, a death through radiation poisoning. As you will know from seeing threads, no doubt, in the 1980s, you know, there is nothing you can do about it, you know, and you also you can't stop the radiation coming in your house, even if you paint the windows white or whatever the government was trying to get us to do at the time. So I think one thing is that, yes, it is a long time ago, and maybe people don't understand the full horrors of it. I think that that is the case. And maybe they think, well, they haven't been used, they weren't used all through the Cold War, so how likely is it that they actually will ever be used? You know, so that kind of thinking as well. Um, but I think um, part of the problem is that now with the kind of, it's a kind of almost like what you might call a war fever, you know. And I mean, everyone pretty much, I'm sure, is really fully on side and supportive to the Ukrainians. You know, it's terrible what they're going through, you know. And obviously, the Russian invasion was a really, really bad thing. And they have every right under international law to defend themselves against that invasion. All that is true. But every single death is a tragedy. You know, that's what we learn from war looking back. And it seems that, you know, when the war is starting and when it's underway and people are kind of, you know, rightly very angry about it, you can slip into this mindset that, you know, killing people is a good and or a necessary and therefore a good thing to do and, you know, encourage people to go and fight. And people, you know, I think Liz Truss even said something which was sort of interpreted as encouraging British people to go and fight with the Ukrainians. You know, that is very irresponsible because what we know is that it's not just what happens at the time. You have a kind of um, brutalisation of a whole generation, particularly of young men, obviously, who are most likely to be going to fight in a kind of culture of um, glorification of, of war and killing and those kinds of values, you know. So it, it's, um, yeah, people can slip into saying, well, we've got to, you know, give the Ruskies a bloody nose or whatever. You know, well, we have to get the Ruskies to the negotiating table and make them get out of Ukraine, but not, you know, not value a bloodbath and value killing as a way of doing that. You know, you can't have you can't have um, a kind of military victory and a military settlement of this. It has to be a political settlement. And all those complex issues have got to be resolved. Otherwise, this will just be like a running sore for years and years and years. You know, so, um, yeah, that kind of war fever, which is, OK, well, maybe we have to use a nuke. You know, well, that is not a good idea. You know, hundreds of thousands of people will suffer. You know, I mean, terrible, terrible. And, and then, of course, if if you have if one is used, two is used, how is that going to then be stopping before you get a massive escalation? That's the terrible thing about this. And if you end up with a full blown nuclear war, we'll all be dead. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is one of the things that I I get very worried about you know and as soon as the nuclear threat thing popped up on the news i was instantly as if there aren't enough other things to be constantly worried about in today's world um but you know it, as you know as uh you know part of cnd is are you are you able to see this you know as there is definitely the threat that it might happen or are you sort of aware of when it might be more power play and for the purposes of we you know are you able to look at this with a kind of level head or is it just as terrifying as it is for say that those of us that have no clue about what what this means no, I, th I think it's terrifying i think it's absolutely terrifying you know during the cold war there was this idea that it was what they called a balance of terror you know both sides had them 
there were kind of rational people in charge that, you know, wouldn't use them. You know, and I've heard politicians actually say, we have them in order not to use them. Well, I mean, that seems bonkers. You may as well just not have them and then you don't have to use them either. But that that kind of balance of terror and, and so on, that was there. And, you know, they weren't used. And, and the idea that you would use them was some, somehow kind of a taboo. You know, it was like an unthinkable thing. And over the past few years, uh, unfortunately, we've seen uh, quite a strong change in that attitude. And um, President, former President Trump, of course, I mean, he was well known for saying, well, we've got nuclear weapons, why, why can't we use them? You know, I mean, that's just an incredibly ignorant thing from someone who is like one of the world leaders. Um, but then in his one of his um, later nuclear posture reviews, um, he included so-called usable nuclear weapons, i.e. small ones, you know, so-called small ones that you could then uh, use on a battlefield or wouldn't be so bad and, you know, would just be like a warning shot or something like that. And not only did he talk about them, he actually had them produced and deployed. You know, so that thing about usable nuclear weapons. And when our government last year uh, introduced the policy that it was going to increase the nuclear arsenal by over 40 percent, um, make new, you know, many more nuclear warheads um, at a big cost, by the way, you know, when our economy is pretty much crashing. Um, they also outlined more scenarios in which they would use nuclear weapons, you know, so it's no, no longer a kind of some terrible big warning insurance policy that will never be used. They're actually talking about when they will use them, you know, and, and that couldn't be more dangerous, Tin. You know, that is just just unbearably dangerous. And the future of us all is at stake here. It's, I mean, it's terrifying. And the language around it is bizarre. Like you say, small nuclear, usable ones or, you know, the idea, I always think that the term nuclear deterrent is bizarre when it's just also a nuclear weapon. And I don't know how that deters nuclear you know war when it's anyway but you know as you mentioned there the uk are talking about um increasing their nuclear arsenal is is russia the main threat right now when it comes to nuclear war but or or are there i mean how many other countries have got nuclear weapons how many other places could just there are there are nine countries with nuclear weapons um so there are there are the five countries um, that are part of the UN Security Council. They're not on it because they have nuclear weapons. It's kind of coincidental, but they happen to be the kind of powers on the winning side after the Second World War. They went on the Security Council. The US had them at that time, 1945. The Soviet Union got them four years later. Um, then Britain got them. Um, then France and China got them. So it's like it, because they were kind of powers or great powers or whatever they thought, obviously, that they thought that they had to have nuclear weapons too to be at the top table or whatever psychology um, they had. There was those five. And then, um, then there are four more. Um, there's India and Pakistan who kind of have them in relation to each other, you know, because at different points they had quite a lot of tension between them. Uh, I, th I think actually India got them first because of tensions with China, then Pakistan got them because India had them. So, you know, this is how it can develop. Um, and then Israel has them. They were uh, helped to get them by um, Britain. And then um, North Korea has got them most recently. OK, so there are nine. So in terms of if you think there are how many countries are there in the world, ten, and it's about 190 or something yeah, like that. There's there's nine countries that have them, which is a very small minority. Unfortunately, it's some of them are the most powerful countries in the world. But there's a massive global opposition to them. I don't mean that just from things like CND and other peace movements. The overwhelming majority of states in the world are opposed to nuclear weapons. So. All, I think, all or virtually all the countries in the global south are self-organised into nuclear weapons-free zones. 
So they've all signed treaties amongst themselves that they won't develop or deploy nuclear weapons. They won't allow any other country to put nuclear weapons in or around their country. So they don't want to have anything to do with them. Um, there's, there's some places, I think Mongolia has declared itself a nuclear weapons free zone um, and some of the sort of Southeast Asian countries as well. And be because they know that if there is a nuclear war, uh, they will be affected by it, you know, and they don't want to have anything to do with it. So they're trying to advance the kind of nuclear abolition thing. And recently they brought um, a treaty, a new treaty to the United Nations called the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. And that is actually passed. So that is enshrined in international law. The, the problem with it is that countries have to sign up to be bound by it. So those and those of countries are signing up. It's countries without nuclear weapons. They're trying to put pressure on the nuclear weapons states to give up their weapons before the worst happens, you know. So there's this kind of massive global movement trying to isolate this kind of global minority that's like got the future of the planet at stake because it insists on having these nuclear weapons. I mean, it's just craziness, you know. It's like they've got a death wish or something, these nuclear weapon states, and then just bandying around the idea, oh, well, we might use them, we need them for our security, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's a, it's unbelievable, really. I mean, completely unbelievable. And also that argument is so invalid when the rest of the world doesn't need them for its security and is surely more exactly. at threat because of it. It's, I mean, like I said, the language language around it is so is so bizarre as soon as you look into any of it and i mean this this is uh you know uh I, I feel i have to ask you this question for the sake of asking it even though i'm sure that we're both oh. very aware the answer is no but are there any arguments for still having them because i think one of the the long arguments about trident uh was always oh but it employs people there are jobs which always felt like i'm there are other jobs, aren't there? I'm sure there are other ways you could employ people. Are, are any of those remotely valid? Would there have to be any care about how you got rid of these weapons? Well, I mean, it, it's not... Well, no one wants to see anyone made unemployed, right? That's a fact. But the government has uh, every conceivable means at its disposal to redeploy those people who are skilled workers into other areas. I mean, the amount it costs, I mean, like to replace the Trident nuclear weapon system costs, well, it's estimated £205 billion, pounds, but I'm sure it's a lot more than that now. Um, and within that process, there's uh, something like maybe 11,000 jobs Right Now, you could have a massive investment, say, into... Um, house building or marine energy technology or wind farming or all kinds of things and create, you know, like hundreds of thousands of jobs that would be very useful. You know, you could easily do that if you were a government who decided we're not going to waste money on weapons of mass destruction anymore. You know, you just need a defence industrial policy or, you know, some, some kind of economic orientation towards developing into these different areas. But I mean, you know, with the best will in the world, jobs is not a good excuse for having weapons of mass destruction that can draw, kill the whole of humanity, particularly when you can employ those people in other areas, more useful, you know. Yeah, but also there won't be any jobs left if you use one of them, so it doesn't make any, yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, exactly, exactly, Simon, doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, this is a very morbid sort of nearly last question, Um, you know, try, with some desperate attempt to find a silver lining to, to current times, do you think the fact that nuclear threat has popped up again uh, do you think that will kind of push for more campaigns to scrap nuclear weapons do you think it will it will create a drive because i mean definitely more people than uh more people seem aware of them again than i remember um depressingly i've heard children sort of mention them at, you know it, it's it's it clearly in the public psyche again and i wondered if the plus side of that if we can find one is that maybe do you, do you feel like maybe there's a, a chance to increase a drive for disarmament again well, I'm very much hoping so. Anything that raises awareness of how terrible these weapons are, you know, that is something that we need to build on. 
Um, and I think it's worth pointing out that in terms of public opinion polls, um, they, they continually show a majority in favour of the global abolition of nuclear weapons. I mean, <clears throat> when that UN treaty came into force at the beginning of last year, we did got observation to do some polling, opinion polling, and it showed that like um, over 70% of the population, and that's across all demographics and all people supporting all parties and everything, thought there should be global abolition of nuclear weapons. And I think it was almost 60% thought that our government should sign up to that treaty. You know, so the government or whatever, the establishment media, tend to talk about nuclear weapons as though everyone thinks we need these, you know, we've got status in the world and we have to defend ourselves. But actually, no, that is not the tr that is not true. You know, opinion polls show that's not true. And when there was the whole debate going on in Parliament and that about whether or not to replace Trident, you know, all the, the opinion polls at the time consistently showed that people would rather spend that money on the National Health Service or whatever. And particularly in terms of the age breakdown of those polls, um, overwhelmingly young people were opposed to them and, and just had the idea that, you know, what are people talking about these things? It's just obviously completely bonkers to have something that can destroy everybody. You know, why are people even discussing spending money on it? You know, so, I mean, maybe with a, a new generation to it and this idea that, you know, Britain's got to punch above its weight and have nuclear weapons, maybe that will go and we have better values about what we need. You know, like we need to solve the climate catastrophe, for one thing. Wouldn't it be better if that money was put into um, sorting that out, if at all possible, and that we should be getting around the table with everyone in, you know, all the states in the world trying to work out how to resolve it, not have a war, which is just going to make the whole thing a lot worse. You know, it's just, it's like some people have got their priorities wrong or they don't want to really recognise what the problems are, you know, but the world's going in a bad direction and, and we have to stop that happening. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's really good to speak to you today because it is something that's been on on my mind. As I said, it's, it's somebody somebody I know, their twelve year old, had brought up the question of will we be affected if it goes off in this part, and you, you sort of go, wow, it's really, oh. it's, it's you know, depressing that it's um very much in everyone's minds. Um, and the last question that I'd like to ask you, which is just uh, one that I ask every uh, guest I have on the show with the hope of kind of furthering good information and knowledge, um, which is that, you know, apart from yourself and CND, of course, what other uh, writers, websites, books, you know, who would you recommend that listeners check out um, either for sort of info on the importance of nuclear disarmament or any, you know, area that you uh, that you think they should check out? Okay, well, apart from what you can get on the CND shop, um, the, what I would, I'm just going to re recommend one thing because I and I think it's really fantastic. Um, you may have heard of the Doomsday Clock, where the hands of the clock are set closer or further away to midnight every year, and the people who work that out, by the way, they're 100 seconds to midnight, which is the closest they've ever been, even during the Cold War. The people who work that out are um, American atomic scientists, and they run this thing called the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, and their website is thebulletin.org. And if you go there to thebulletin.org, there is every conceivable piece of information, not only about nuclear weapons, but also about um, other existential threats like the climate catastrophe. They've got a fantastic analysis of the, the Ukraine war at the moment and the possibility of nuclear use, the, what's going on with the nuclear power stations in Ukraine, everything you could imagine. So I just highly recommend that. That's thebulletin.org. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Thanks so much to Kate for having time to chat and to Padraig for helping organise the chat as well. Um, I hope that has quelled or more likely exacerbated your fears of melting in a nuclear apocalypse. Uh, but, you know, it was helpful either way. Maybe it wasn't helpful. I don't know. I hope so. Um, you can find Kate on Twitter at Kate4Peace2021. And of course, CND can be found at CNDUK on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. I've posted some specific links in the podcast blurb to their campaigns against Trident, the war in Ukraine, as well as one to sign their letter to the Prime Minister not to increase the UK's nuclear arsenal and of course um, a join up link to CND2 and yeah I was pretty lucky uh, in 2015 I, I got to go to Hiroshima um, on a trip to Japan which uh, and the Peace Museum there is such an important but unbelievably upsetting place I just have these vivid memories of walking around absolutely in tears and everyone else in the queue going around just absolutely in tears and everyone leaving wiping their eyes and then this weird bit at the end where yeah there's pictures of world leaders signing uh the treaty to to disarm weapons but while also having weapons it's very bizarre i sort of always feel like every world leader should be made to march around there and read every single display card before they can have their job um that's that's what should happen uh anyway what else um and more importantly who else might actually reply to my emails and be willing to talk to me i mean guests obviously but you know also potential friends no sorry i mean just interviewees uh all thoughts on what to talk to people about and which people to talk to about it are very welcomed and do send them thoughts to partly political broadcast at gmail and that's all for this week's partly political broadcast podcast you know what you've done and you won't get away with it for much longer you'll see oh sorry sorry wrong recording thanks tons for listening that's what i mean and possibly consider spreading the word donating to the ko for your patreon reviewing the show or handing the money back under cover of night and no one will say a word that'll be it no i'm sorry sorry wrong recording again sorry very, i'm very confused Gratitudes, platitudes and hairy dudes to Acast, my brother Last Skeptic and Cat Day. And this will be back next week when Rishi Sunak shows that he's just like everyone else by having the automatic train door open on him while he's having a shit on a long journey. But it's then revealed to be a photo op involving someone else's shit and his popularity drops again by a whole 2%. Bye! This week's show was brought to you by Covid again. Ugh. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.